You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode. I just want to take a moment to remind you, if you haven't done so already, we would encourage you to subscribe and download our episodes on a regular basis. And you can do that by going to any of the podcast applications and hitting that subscribe button, and you'll get that content coming to you each week when we release. And we are on, I think, just about every app that's out there. Dad, I I added two more this week. Um, And so I think in total, we're out in about 30 or 40 different uh, podcasts, uh, distribution sites. And so anywhere yeah. you can find podcasts, you should be able to find the Bonfire Podcast. So please go out there, download and subscribe. I also encourage you to head over to our Facebook page, Bonfire Ministries Facebook page, where you can uh, follow and like our ministry. You can also share our videos. That's a great opportunity for you to tell your friends about um, the Bonfire Ministry because you can pick up what is our episode? It's a video, and you can hit the share button, and that'll go right out to your friends. And that leads me into my third thing that I always ask for is for you to tell a friend. And uh, we're in the middle of a study, so I'm also saying study with a friend. So I would encourage you to find someone uh, maybe that you work with, maybe it's a relative, someone who lives in your household, and say, let's study the Bible together. And let's um and for for those of you who are Christians, let's find someone that maybe is is not a Christian, or maybe someone who's um, a new Christian that you can help disciple and guide, mm-hmm. and help them to grow in their faith. Because remember, we are called to be disciples. We're supposed to help people grow. And unfortunately, I don't think there's not there's not enough Christians out there that are actually following through on the command to, to make disciples. And right. so mm-hmm. we definitely need that. So that's my call of duty for this week is that you would, again, subscribe and download, like and follow, and then be sure to tell a friend and also study with a friend. Well, Dad, we are continuing on in our series here, Rejoice mm-hmm. Always. This is a study through First Philippians. We mm-hmm. started our first episode on this series last week, covering just the first few verses there in First Philippians, or sorry, in Philippians. And um, when we looked at, at those verses last time, we, we kind of talked about uh, three kind of major points. Uh, we said that Paul said, I have you on my mind, talking to the uh, church at Philippi. He said, I have you on my heart. And uh, have you in my prayers? Mm-hmm. And so we very much saw Pastor Paul talking to uh, his former congregation. And uh, the overall theme uh, in those verses was love and joy. Right. And we know that uh, joy is kind of the overall theme of of the book of Philippians. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've entitled our series Rejoice Always, mm-hmm. uh, because we're going to see even tonight um, or even in this episode as we're recording here um, that we should be rejoicing regardless of our circumstances. So right. we're right. going to pick up uh, on this episode exactly where we left off. So we'll be starting at verse 12 in Philippians, and we're going to go ahead and complete chapter one um, in this episode. And so as we study today, we're going to break down the scripture into three main sections. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we're going to look at is that Paul's perspective on his problems. So that'll be a section that we look at. And then we'll look at Paul's purpose in life. And then finally, we'll close out with Paul's provocation to Christian life. And, you know, the great thing about uh, the book of Philippians, but particularly this um, area of Scripture, is it is packed with practical application for daily living. And That's so, right. Um, I'll be pointing some of those out as we go through uh, the application. How can you take this word and apply it to your to your life? It's, you know, the amazing thing about the Bible. It was written, you know, 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. um, and, and more, 
uh, in some books, and uh, there is still truths and there are still things that you can pick up out of this text and you can take it into your life today mm-hmm. and it will make a difference. Um, right. It is the living, breathing word of God on paper and uh, it's, an, it's an amazing book. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off. And mm-hmm. Dad, uh, tonight my voice is giving me a little bit of an issue, so I'm going to ask if you will do our, our scripture reading for us. And uh, our first section here is going to be Philippians verse 12 through 19. Would you read that for us? Sure. Uh, Paul writes, starting at verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. All right. So thanks for reading that there, Dad. Um, As we look at this scripture, the things that stick out to me, you guys know how I like to do this, is just really jump in and say what sticks out to me. And the first uh, main uh, thing that we see Paul talking about is his chains, all right? And we have to recall that Paul is in prison, and uh, he's not in prison maybe as you and I would think prison today. He is actually in what would be more like a house arrest situation, Mm -hmm. and he is chained to a, a guard. And that guard is a 24-hour person that's standing with him, and they switch out every, I think, is it every four or six hours? They were making their their, their shift change, and so he had someone chained to him around the clock. But what we see here is is Paul sees prison not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important. Instead of him feeling sorry for himself or writing a letter and, and talking about how bad his situation is, and maybe even getting mad at God. Paul turns his chains into a mission field, and because of the perspective that he has on these two, uh, on this, two things happen. And let's look at them closely. The first is that the palace guard and other prisoners, and even people in Rome, were hearing the gospel and getting saved that otherwise would not have. Okay, mm-hmm. think about this. Paul's chained to a man. That's and right. And you know, Paul, he's if he's given an opportunity, he's going to share his faith. And he's sitting there writing this letter, no doubt. Um, and there's a man chained to him as he's penning these words. And he's probably That's talking right. to this man as, as as he's writing his letter and, and explaining to him what he's saying. And so the, these guards were hearing the gospel of Christ, and some were accepting Christ. And then they were going home. And, you know, Jesus would always, when he had an interaction or when the, the disciples had an interaction, it was always go back to your, your household and get them right. and come and let's talk about it. And so I have to believe, we don't have it written here, but I would just have to believe that these guards went home and say, and told their wife and their family, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. Mm-hmm. You're not going to believe what I was told. I, I heard of the good news of Jesus Christ and it changed my life. And so there was a revival happening in, in Rome, even though Paul was in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, the palace guard that the scriptures speak of, that Paul had watching over him. It refers to the elite Praetorian guard 
who provided the security for Caesar's palace and who guarded Paul. There were 10,000 members of the Praetorian Guard, and they were the real power in Rome. The guards from this elite outfit assigned to keep watch over Paul, as you mentioned, most people believe that they changed every four hours, which means that Paul was chained to six different guards a day. Now, Paul was a prisoner uh, for two years. Now, six times 365 days, that's 2,190. 2,190 times two years, 4,380 guard shifts. There could have easily been four to 500 different guards assigned to Paul out of the 4,380 guard shifts. And many of these guards, as you said, accepted Christ. I thought about it when you were talking a while ago that without meaning to be, in a sense, Paul was perhaps the very first military chaplain, <laughs> and he was a chaplain as a prisoner. <laughs> That's exactly right. I n- never thought of it that way, but he was. And so we see, again, the one first thing that happened is that there was uh, the furtherance of the gospel. There were people hearing uh, about the gospel that otherwise would not have, and that was because Paul was there and he was arrested. And so instead of getting down on his situation and saying, woe is me, and, and uh, getting mad at God, he said, look what God's doing. Look, look, right. look what's happening because of my chains. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I see that he talks about that, hap- that happens because of his chains is that other Christians became more confident to share the gospel after seeing what Paul endured and how he responded. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. If, if you're a Christian and you, you see Paul, Paul is in jail. He's chained to the elite guard, okay? Uh, in, in our time here in America, this would be like being tied to maybe a Navy SEAL or a, a, a Secret Service member or something like That's that. That's right. Some, some high, uh, high military or high police force. And he's just sitting there, and he is telling them about Jesus because they're chained to him and they got nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And that had to embolden the believers of the time and say, well, you know what? If Paul can do this while he's in prison, right. then why can't I tell my friend about about Jesus? Why can't I share my faith with other people? And so That's right. it just gave a, a just a boost in the confidence uh, to other believers that, that they could give the gospel and they could share the gospel and they could face hard times because of what Paul was facing. Yeah. In the 17th century England, George Fox and the Quakers were making their mark for the gospel and hundreds were being converted. In the midst of the revival, while preaching at the castle of Carlisle in the north of England, George Fox was arrested on charges of blasphemy. After his trial, he was thrown into a filthy dungeon overrun with vermin and criminals. No one was allowed to even get a glimpse of him. Some who tried to bring him food were clubbed back by the jailers. But 150 miles away, 16-year-old James Parnell, a cripple endowed by a brilliant mind, heard about Fox's situation and walked the long miles to the prison. Somehow he managed to get in and he was never the same again, says Walter Williams in his volume on Quaker history. And he and George Fox spent some time in fellowship together. The lad left Carlisle Dungeon with heart aflame and gave the rest of his life to Christ and the Friends Movement. Folks, our attitude toward our problems will either encourage or discourage other believers. And so we find out that 
that Paul's attitude towards his problem and what he was doing in sharing the gospel encouraged uh, those Christians in Rome to share with their friends. That's exactly right. So what is the application here? Well, this should be fairly easy to see. Is first thing that I see is that we should see our obstacles as opportunities, just mm-hmm. like Paul did. You know, Dad, I was thinking about your, you were teaching on, on Wednesday night, and uh, your lesson was um, about uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, being there in the ship during the storm. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you were kind of closing, you were talking about how uh, anything that happens in your life, both good and bad, it, it goes through the hands of God first. Right. And, and so uh, when you're in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a trial um, or an obstacle, um, really, that should be viewed as an opportunity because God has put it, that in your life uh, or allowed that to happen in your life for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something that's going to come out of it. And oftentimes he uses trials to build our faith and, and to make it stronger. And so every obstacle that we face, no matter what it is, how dark it is or how bad it is, we should view those as an opportunity or at least look for the opportunities that Christ can be involved in them. That's right. The second thing that I see is as an application that we should all apply is that people are watching how we handle our trials. Mm-hmm. And we you just went through that and, and said that people are watching. They want to see if you're a Christian and you say that you're a Christian and, and you wear a Christian T-shirt and you put a fish on the back of your car and you go to church on Sunday— and when the hard times come, people are want, watching you to see how you respond. Uh-huh. And many times the people who are watching you, they may not be believers. Right. And when they see you respond in a positive manner that, and they think, man, I can't believe, you know, John's going through that situation and he's still, he's still got joy. He's still smiling. He's, he's still, you know, showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, that just does so much for them. It's a testament to them. That's a, a testimony to them about the, the goodness of God. Right. And then for believers, again, it helps us strengthen and say, well, man, if, if he can if he can get through that, then I should be able to get through what I'm going through. That should be no problem because I've got it a lot better off than he does. Yeah. You know, there's a gentleman in our church, Matt, and you know him well, that last year in 2020, you know, it was a rough year for all of us because of the pandemic. Uh, but this man named Lewis, his wife was really sick, and and she died during that year. His son, who was in the ministry, yeah. uh, he had suffered for several years, and and he passed away that year. And then Lewis had a terrible surgery, one of the hardest kind of surgeries any man could have. Had yeah. chemotherapy. He had radiation treatments. Uh, oh, he is a big man. He lost a lot of weight. But Lewis told me, he said, uh, Pastor, I'm going to pass the test. I'm going to, and he maintained his faith. And you know what? It, to me, and even you, you know, being uh, with a medical background, you saw him at church yep. carrying around uh, uh, on a sling, you know, medication that was being injected in him, poisoning mm-hmm. his body to get rid of that cancer. And and you said, Dad, I know what he's on. I don't see how he's doing it. Yep. He was an encouragement to all of us. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, and, and like you said, he didn't lose his faith the entire time. And, you know, I, I hope uh, and, and that I can have faith like Lewis. You right. Know? Um, because, man, he was so strong. Such a tough year. 2020 was a tough year for everybody. But on top of the pandemic, he had all this else going on in his life and uh, managed to keep his, keep his faith and, and just to— 
um, yeah, he, he's sad. He's, he's, he's got a lot of sadness in his life, but when you talk to him, he, he still will talk about how good God is. That's right. Uh, even yeah. even in, in, uh, in the midst of these storms and the sadness. And so that's the application is that see your obstacles as opportunities. Always look for where God is working, even in the midst of those trying times. Mm-hmm. And then notice that people are watching how you handle your trials. Dad, you had a, a good uh, illustration uh, that goes along with this. Can you share it with our group? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was at the bottom of the sixth inning, the Montreal Expos' most feared hitter. Tim Raines was at the plate. The pitcher glared at the catcher and checked the runner on first base. Then, kicking high, he threw as hard as he could. It was the last pitch he would ever throw. A loud, sickening crack was heard all over the stadium, weakened by undiscovered cancer. The humorous moan and Dave Trevecki's pitching arm had snapped in two. Trevecki said, my arm felt like I'd been hit with a meat axe. He grabbed his arm to keep it from flying toward home plate as he screamed, tumbling headfirst to the ground. While his baseball career was over, his adversity had just begun. After many examinations, the doctors told him that his pitching arm would have to be amputated at the shoulder to guarantee that the cancer would not spread to other parts of his body. You know, I can't imagine, folks, what Dave Trevecki must have felt as the reality of that news set in. He was in the prime of his career and under normal circumstances could have expected to play baseball for many more years, but now it was over. Several weeks after his surgery, Dave Trevecki came back to Jack Murphy Stadium to say thank you to his many San Diego friends. He was greeted with a standing ovation. As with every speaking engagement since he lost his arm, he glorified God and gave praise to the name of Jesus. Within a day after his appearance at the stadium, it was reported in the news that Trevecki Trevecki had received over 700 invitations to speak during the next year. The apparent tragedy had begun to take a look of victory. Dave's story is a lesson in the fact that God often has hidden purposes in the adversity he allows to come into our lives. Mm, That's a great story, great application there. So we're talking about Paul's perspective and his problems, and we just looked at how he viewed his chains and his imprisonment. But next I want us to look at how Paul viewed his critics. In verses 15 through 18, uh, we see that while Paul was in in prison, um, there were uh, some preachers that were out there uh, that were preaching Christ, but they were coming at it from an angle of envy and strife. Yep. Uh, so this pre- these preachers, they uh, were glad that Paul was in prison because they were jealous of Paul's influence and his platform. And uh, they liked uh, the fact that he was, the tension was off him and he was away in prison. And that gave them an opportunity to develop their own platform. Paul goes on to say that uh, some of those uh, preachers were even thinking that they were adding to uh, pain, uh, pain and suffering that Paul was experiencing. But as Paul says, no matter what the motive is, Uh, He rejoiced because the gospel of Jesus Christ was still being preached. So this teaches us here that Paul had a kingdom perspective. Hey, Matt, I thought about this, that 
Paul kept his critics in context, and that's what we have to do. That's exactly right. So again, Paul says, you know, I don't care what their motive is, even if they're they're trying to to take some of uh, the, the notoriety that I have. As long as they were preaching Christ and they were preaching doctrine, uh, that he was okay with it because Christ was getting the glory. And so when I think about this, uh, how Paul viewed his perspective on his critics, I see two applications for us. One is that all that matters or all that should matter to us is the furtherance of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, so many times um, we want to get caught up in the, the trivial things of this world, the things that will fade away, mm-hmm. um, as, as the Bible and the great hymn says. Um, and we need to be focused in on eternity. And, right. and the furtherance of the gospel and, and getting the news of Jesus Christ out should be, in the life of the believer, the number one goal. And everything else is second. And everything else, to be honest, really doesn't matter. Right. Um, because that should be our, our primary focus. Mm-hmm. The other thing that... Um, I think we should do is always maintain a kingdom perspective. You know, Dad, we are doing this podcast, and, you know, there's people listening from all over the country. Um, the chances are they're not going to come to the church that we go to, and that's right. okay. Right. And I don't really care. I just more care about the kingdom growing and people learning and, and growing in their faith in Christ and coming to know Christ. And so we should always keep a, a kingdom perspective. That's if we right. just talk about our area right here, Dad, a lot of times churches will, you know, have a little bit of competition between each other, and that's okay, but we must always keep that kingdom perspective. If the truth be told, if we could get everyone in a 10-mile radius to go to church, we don't have enough churches for them to be in. You know, we've got our (laughs) upward soccer program going on now, and it's the largest program we've had in years, 263 kids. You're one of the coaches. You, you, You coached your team tonight. And we've got 30 teams, soccer teams, but, you know, the over half of them are coached by Christian people that attend other churches. And when I met with our coaches, I said, look, there's at least 100 kids that have absolutely no church affiliation at all, based on what their mom and dad said when they mm-hmm. filled out the application. I said, now listen, you folks, you don't attend our church, you know, those of you that's not members, and that's okay. And you go to good churches, and I want you to, to strive to get those kids on your team into church. Get them in your church, because we're not in any competition with other churches. This is about kingdom work, that's and that's right. my, that's my my philosophy. That's right, that's right. And like I said, even if you can get every uh, person within a ten mile radius into church, we don't have enough seats for. Them. That's right. That's and right. so we need to all be working together, banding together to serve. Uh, the kingdom growth and mm-hmm. the kingdom perspective on everything that we do. That's right. Paul gives us a great example of what that looks like, having that kingdom perspective. Moving on, uh, moving to verse 19, we see that Paul's perspective is really kind of rounded out here and that he shows uh, his perspective through his confidence and faith that everything will work out to be okay. We see verse 19, it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And so he, he right there, he's saying, I, I'm not worried. I, I, I believe and I have faith and I have trust that everything's going to be okay. And again, mm-hmm. we just see his perspective there. It's one that's positive. It's one that's that's looking forward to the future. And he's not worried about his situation or his circumstances. When I think about the situation that Paul's in, it'd be real easy to, to see someone just write a real sad letter here. But so far, we continue to see his letters full of just joy mm-hmm. and, and love um, that he's writing here. That's right. Well, Dad, moving on to our our next set of scripture that we're going to be looking at, we want to look at Paul's purpose in life, Paul's purpose in life, and that's going to be verses 20 through 26. Would you read that for us? Sure. 
Paul writes, starting at verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Thank you. So early in these verses, we see that Paul states that his purpose in life was to magnify Christ. And Paul went as far to say as that was his purpose, whether it required death or life. He didn't care. That was his one goal, was to magnify Christ. Dad, as I was studying, I was reading after, one of the authors I was reading after talked about magnifying Christ, and, and he, he posed the question of, does does Christ need to be magnified? Because Christ and God, I mean, he, he's the God of heaven. I mean, yeah. he's, he's all-powerful. How can man bring uh, God bigger than he already is? And the, the illustration that was given there is the, of a telescope. Yeah. You know, and that telescope allows you to view something that's far away and brings it close. Mm-hmm. So you can look through a telescope and you can see a star that's millions of miles away, and it looks like you could just reach out and touch it from mm-hmm. a telescope. And really, that's what Paul was saying, is that he wanted to bring God, he wanted to bring Christ close to people around him through his actions and through his work and his labor and his service, that he would magnify Christ, bring it bring it close to them so that they may have a chance to see God for who he really is. God was going to be no more powerful um, than, he, than he is already, but he would be closer to the people around him because of the reactions or the actions of Paul. Yeah. And you know, Paul wanted Christ to be magnified in his life, whether according to verse 20, it be by his life or by his death. That's right. Yeah, he, he didn't care. Either way, he was willing to go. You know, Dad, probably the most notable or recognizable verse from the entire book of Philippians is verse 21. Mm-hmm. And in that verse, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so uh, Paul was basically saying that he's got a win-win situation here. If right. he goes on living, uh, that he's going to be serving Christ, he's going to be working in Christ, and he's going to be living for Christ, and his whole life would be dedicated to Christ. But if he were to die, that he's going to gain because he's going to be with Christ, and ultimately he would be in as glorified state as he goes to be with God in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt, I have used that scripture passage out of Philippians so many times in funerals, you know, to uh, preach to the people, the grieving people about the one that passed away that was a Christian to say, hey, to die is gain. Yeah. And I, I would talk about what their loved one that's died has gained in dying, is gained in heaven. And, and that I think God has... A purpose for Paul to write that has brought so much comfort to people through the years. Sure. Yeah. And it's it's so true. You know, it, it takes a while for, I believe, a person to realize it. I mean, it did, at least in my life, you know, as I, I grew up and got older, you know, the thought of, of dying, you're like, oh, I don't want to die. I've got so much I want to do in my life. I want to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, 
you get to that point of maturity, um, both just in age, but in spiritual maturity, where you really begin to understand what Paul's talking about. Right. And then you begin to say, yeah, you know what? Today would be a good day for the Lord to come back. It would be a good day. If this is my day, uh, then I get to be with Jesus and I'm okay with that. And um, to die is to gain because, uh, you know, we we did in our Heaven podcast where we talked about uh, how wonderful Heaven is to spend it with the time with the Heavenly Father. No no tears, no trying, uh, no sin, uh, the perfection that's there. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And so Paul was mm-hmm. saying, you know, if, if he dies, that's that's all good with him. It's gain. That's right. Um, but to live uh, was going to be to serve Christ and to continue to, to serve him. And after these verses, Paul lets us in on a little dilemma. Uh, Paul said that I'm between kind of a rock and a hard place, right? Because he's got this win-win situation of staying and living for Christ, uh, but he's also got this strong desire to just go be with Jesus. And uh, Paul said that he would rather depart from this world and be with Jesus. And and that's where his his heart was, is to say, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting here is that that Paul uh, had so much love and respect for Christ and for the Philippians that he said that he would forego heaven and he was willing to stay and willing to work and serve so that other people may be able to make it to heaven one day as well. And that just speaks volumes there in terms of his his perspective on his life and service. Right. You know, uh, Paul lost a lot of things while being a prisoner. He lost the companionship of his friends his traveling ministry was no more. He lost his privacy. However, even with all that was taken away from him, he was a motivated man. And one thing that couldn't be taken away from him was his motivation for living. And you know, everybody lives for something. For some, to live as possessions, pleasure, prestige, power. You know, Solomon was a man in the Bible, a king that tried it all. And, it, and he said it was just vanity of vanities. But Paul, that was not what he lived for. Paul lived for Christ, and his goal was to be a blessing to other people and to do what God called him to do. That's what all he wanted to do was what God called him to do. That was motivation for living. That's exactly right. And, you know, Dad, that kind of leads me into the applications. When I think about this section of Scripture, obviously so much can be said here um, about um, application of our purpose uh, is to magnify Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is what we are here for, is is to bring Christ glory and, and to magnify Him and show His love to other people as Christians. And so that's the first application is that should be our goal is to magnify Christ. Um, a second goal or second application that I see here is that, yes, we should be serving Christ. We should not view uh, the things of this world and, and this physical life greater than the things of eternity. And that's right. where our focus should be is, is that we're storing up treasures in heaven. We're working on getting as many people into the ark as we possibly can and getting them uh, uh, redeemed into the blood of Jesus Christ. That should be where our focus is, not on what the stock market's doing, not on what our retirement account's doing, uh, not on the, the trivial things, the sports and everything else that this world wants to throw in front of our face and say it's important. We should be focusing on those eternal things. And then the last application that just comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this, Dad, is um, 
you know, to not love this world so much, right? Obviously, Paul says, hey, I'm ready. I'd love to, to go and to, to be in heaven to die as a gain. Mm-hmm. And I think every all of us should really test ourselves to say, you know, do I love this world more than I love being with my heavenly father? Right. Which one, if I were asked to give a choice today, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would I choose? Um, and so I would just encourage all of you to give yourself that little test there and apply that to your life. We should be uh, loving the things of eternity and our Heavenly Father more than the things of this world. Right. You know, Jesus is going to come back for his church one day, and the Bible tells us that we'll be caught up, we that are believers, caught up, up in the air to go and be with him. Well, there's going to be people caught up. But I think there's so many people that's attached to the things of this world, they're going to have to be snatched up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. And and I think I've said on this podcast multiple times, I I was that way at one point. Um, You know, just just felt like, well, well, no, I'm not ready for Jesus to come back. I'm I'm. I don't want to die. I don't want to do this, these things right now. And, and then uh, perspective has changed. The more I get to, to know Christ and grow in, in, in knowledge of him and the things of his word, I'm like, man, let's go. I'm, I'm ready, right. ready today. So that's our application for Paul's purpose in life. It was, again, to magnify Christ. And I would say that we all should try to emulate ourselves after Paul. The last point that we have here is we're kind of rounding out uh, our uh, episode for today was to look at Paul's provocation to Christian life. Paul's provocation of Christian life. And that's going to be verse uh, 27 through 30. And Dad, if you would read that for us, please. That's right. Paul says, starting in verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So as Paul um, is writing, he changes his tone here in this letter, and he goes into what I'm calling, again, the provocation to Christian life. He provokes his readers, uh, both the church at Philippi and you and I, as we're reading it today, that there are areas that a Christian should should be careful and tend to as we live in this world. And I saw four of them that, that stuck out to me in, in, this, in these verses here. The first, he says, is to watch your conduct. He says, watch your conduct. Act, you need to act worthy of the kingdom of which you are rightly belong as a citizen of God. And what I liked at it as I read these verses, and, and I didn't see this in any commentary that I was studying, so this is straight up Matt Parker commentary here, is he talks about whether I'm there or not. And so for me, what that kind of uh, said to me is, is that we need to be living for Christ and, and, and having our conduct in a way, whether we're in church or out of church, whether the preacher is there or not. You know, I think there's so many people that they play church, right? They come right. to church on Sunday morning, they uh, sit in the pew, they sing the songs, they give the tithe, and, and then they go out the door, and then they don't give another thought to the things of God uh, during the rest of the week. And if you were to catch them at any other time of the week, their conduct would not be the same on Wednesday as it was Sunday morning as they were in church. And so uh, Paul says, your conduct, again, should be worthy of the kingdom. You should be living for Christ and living as a Christian and following his commands 
doesn't matter if I'm present or not. And again, Paul being the pastor, they didn't have uh, you know routine church services. A lot of times they'd go to church and it'd be one church they have uh, this day, and that may be the only church they have for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he was saying, regardless of whether we're in church or out of church or I'm there or not, you need to be living for God full time. That's right, because a lost world is watching. Do you remember when the TV show Candid Camera was popular? Uh, I used to love that show. In the show, a situation would be set up so as to embarrass some unsuspecting person. The embarrassment was when the unsuspecting person discovered that his actions had been caught on film by a hidden cameraman. As soon as the individual had taken the bait, so to speak, and did something really stupid, the host of the TV show would say to the person, smile, you're on candid camera, and the cameraman would step out and reveal himself. Well, using this as an illustration, just like the unsuspecting person that was caught by the camera doing something funny, you and I, we may not think about it, but there's always somebody watching and listening. Now, obviously, God sees all and knows all, and that should be enough motivation to watch what you do and say, because you're going to be judged by God one day. But besides God, lost people are also watching us as Christians. And when they see us adding dirt to a situation, when they see our our dirty laundry hanging out, we lose credibility. And what we say to them about their need to repent of their sins no longer holds water. They say, hey, I'm fine, just as I am. Well, Folks, we don't want to have a negative witness. We want to be a positive witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard it said one time, uh, as Christians, we're the only Bible that a lot of people ever read. That's true. It is true. Very true. Well, Dad, the the next thing I see that Paul provokes us to is consistency. Paul says that we need to be maintaining our integrity and our testimony in spite of persecution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's very important, and I think it's going to become more important in the life of Christians as we uh, move forward and get closer to Christ's return. Um, you know, in, in many of the developed world or the Western world, we haven't faced much persecution as Christians. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Yeah. Um, but I really feel that, that it's coming and right. that um, our consistency uh, is going to be put to the test um, as this persecution comes, as we, again, get closer to the return of Christ. And and we're going to need to be keeping the faith. And that may mean that, yeah, uh, you're going to be put in tough situations. There are going to be things held over your head. It may be a job. It may be imprisonment. Um, it may be your life. And uh, you're going to have to be consistent in your uh, actions and your beliefs and uh, maintaining your integrity uh, for Christ during mm-hmm. that time. That's right. Uh, Dad, the, the next thing that I see here that Paul calls us to um, or provokes us to is cooperation. Um, he, he says that we should strive together like athletes against a common foe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of things that come to mind about how we should uh, strive together, how we should be together. Satan, his, his uh, motto is divide and conquer. He wants to divide us. Well, many years ago, there was uh, some problems on the Virginia Tech football team. and It was to be the year for Virginia Tech, but due to internal problems with the players resulting in them not playing together as a team, they lost two games that they shouldn't have lost. The turning point 
was in the game against Boston College, and the game was on television. The players were shown to be fussing with each other on the sidelines. They were caught on film. Frank Beamer, their coach, he got after them for their fussing, and they finally got it together as a team. And they gave my alma mater, Clemson, its worst defeat of the season. Now, you know Clemson's been winning a lot of games, so that's saying a lot right there. (laughs) But they got their stuff together. Folks, we've got to get it together to win. And we can learn a lot about teamwork from nature. Think about honeybees. On a warm day, about half the bees in a hive stay inside, beating their wings while the other half go out to gather pollen and nectar. Because of the beating wings, the temperature inside the hive is about 10 degrees cooler than outside. The bees rotate duties, and the bees that cool the hive one day are honey gatherers the next. And, you know, we can also learn a lot about teamwork by studying geese, their flight patterns, and in-flight habits. Geese fly in a very organized V formation, winging their way to a warmer climate. They often cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination. How did they do this? Well, those in front rotate their leadership. When one lead goose gets tired, it changes place with one in the wing of the V formation and another flies point. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for one another. Each flap of the wings literally creates an uplift for the bird immediately following. One author states that by flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose flew on its own. And here's another thing. When one goose gets sick or wounded, Two fall out of the formation with it and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with the struggler until it's able to fly again. Now, hey, if the bees and the geese can do it, it's God's children. We work together. We can do more. We can accomplish more. That's exactly right. So he says, again, we should strive together, uh, put aside all of our our petty arguing as as believers, um, and that we should be focused in on the goal and to be working together. Um, Again, this kind of uh, relates back to the previous points that we were making about a kingdom perspective, is that, again, if you're a believer and and, and you believe in God and you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, well, you're my brother and sister in Christ, and I'm going to work with you uh, to try and reach others. Uh, for for Christ as well. And so um, cooperation is that third thing. Dad, the fourth thing that I see here is he says courage. Uh, Paul provokes us to have courage. And he says that facing persecution and enduring pain uh, will be part of the Christian life, and it's all for the sake of Christ. And so when we're going to be facing those, Paul calls us to have courage, to don't fade away from it, don't, don't back down from it. Uh, to, to not give our adversaries uh, any room um, that we should be courageous because we are fighting the good fight for Christ. You know, one thing that stands out to me as I was looking at this scripture is that according to verse 29, Paul lets us know that that it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. He said, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You know, that suffering, those scars, whether they be 
uh, external scars like people get on the battlefield are internal scars where we're attacked by our adversary, Satan, and the people that he uses against us. Hey, when we hang in there and we fight tough and fight with valor, those scars are to the child of God like the Purple Heart is to a military veteran that endured a wound. You know, they have, they wear even special license plates that says the Purple Heart. You know, one of these days when we get to go to heaven, those of us that suffered for Jesus, our sufferings will be our Purple Heart. That's exactly right. And I, Dad, I think that that um, Purple Heart is, is so effective even in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Because think about it, when you've been through so much, and, and God's brought you through and brought you to the other side, you can sit down with someone and you can say, let me tell you what God's done. Right. Let, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you how this occurred. And you, you walk through and, and talk about maybe the pain and the hurt and, and, and whatever it may be that you were going through and how God brought you through that. That's so encouraging uh, to someone who, who's in need, who needs to hear that. Maybe they're going through the same thing. But it also is is your testimony, which you can speak to a non-believer. You know, but many people say, well, I don't, I don't witness or tell people um, about Jesus because I don't know what the right thing to say is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Dad, you, you've taught a witnessing class, uh, multiple classes throughout your, your ministry. And, yeah, there there are things that we, we can say. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, algorithms or there's there's certain methods that you can go through and points that you can hit. But many times mm-hmm. what God wants us to do and what he can use the most is if we just tell what God has done in our life. Right. And, and just say, well, yeah, I may not have all those scriptures memorized in that order. I don't know the Roman road exactly, but I can sit down and I can just with my open heart say, listen, a non-believer, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you how he's worked in my life. Let me show you what he's brought me through. He can do that for you too. And many times that's the best testimony that you can give. That's right. You know, uh, people could argue with you and say, well, I don't believe the Bible, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? When you give your testimony of what God has done for you, when you give your story, how can they argue with that? That is your story. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they, they can't poke holes in that because it, it's your story. That's um, right. And so, again, the last point there is that uh, Paul calls us to be courageous as, as Christians. Um, we're, you know, there's many uh, preachers or teachers that are out there that would try to tell you that you become a Christian and you're going to get um, a big check and you're going to get a new house and a new car and your life is going to be great. Um, but let me tell you uh, that I have covered the Bible cover to cover, and I've never once found anything that supports that. And In fact, I found the opposite, uh, that we as believers— um, we're going to face tough times. Uh, being a Christian is not going to be an, an easy road um, that's just going to be uh, all uh, care bears and sunshine, as I like to say. There's going to be tough times. Uh, but what's great about it is God gives us the grace to get through the tough times, and He's there uh, to get us through those tough times. And we come out the other side stronger than we've ever been. And so Paul calls us to be courageous, to have courage, because those storms are going to come. If you're not going, you, you preached a sermon series day one time, and I think it was, if you're not in a storm or haven't been in a storm, you're getting ready to go into a storm or right. something, something to that effect, That's right. right? Everyone's in one of those three stages. Mm-hmm. It's either you're coming out of a storm or storm's getting ready to come. So uh, courage is something that you're going to need to have uh, because uh, the winds are going to blow at some point. 
That's exactly right. At some point. Well, Dad, I really enjoyed uh, this uh, particular episode, uh, getting through uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we've looked again at Paul's uh, perspective, and we saw that he had uh, a glass uh, half-full perspective. He was positive on, on his uh, problems that he had. Uh, we looked at how he had uh, a view of his purpose in life, and his purpose was Christ. He wanted to magnify Christ. And then lastly, we saw his provocation to Christian life. Those are four things that we can take as application in our life as we live as Christians, um, as we move forward and live uh, toward the return of Christ. And so uh, for our listeners, I just want to thank you for listening in. I'd encourage you uh, to, again, go back and, and read and study. If you haven't uh, caught uh, Rejoice Always, the first episode or week one, go back and do that. Catch up with us. And uh, if you want to go ahead and start reading in chapter two, we'll be picking that up. Um, may not be our next episode. We may actually have a, an episode or two in between here that will interrupt the series, but we will be back in Philippians before too long and uh, finishing out the book. And so with that, Dad, pray us out of here. Sure. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for giving my son and I this opportunity to have this podcast ministry. And Lord, maybe one day when we're in heaven, we'll meet people that we never knew down here on earth, but we're helped by our studies through the scripture. I pray, dear God, that that you would uh, cause individuals to to encourage their, the people that they work in the office that are searching uh, spiritually to listen to this podcast ministry. And then, Lord, to, to set aside a time to talk about it at lunch. Lord, that's a way that this, this could be used. Lord, use it to help the the pastor on the mission field that, that does not have all kinds of resources and study material. Use it, Lord, to help that pastor. And then, Lord, use it as a witness uh, to win people to Jesus. And I pray today that if there's folks out there, and I know they are, I believe they are, listening that's not Christians that have not committed their life to Jesus, Lord, I pray that they'll turn from their sin and acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior of their life today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.